Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 99, and we're discussing our favorite villains in anime. 99. <laughs> that would have been a, a good episode number for Mob Psycho or episode 100, but we've got some fun stuff planned for episode 100. But anyway, as always, there will be spoilers throughout this episode and probably some big spoilers for certain anime that we're going to talk about when it comes to their villains. So heads up on that. Yeah, you might want to skip over those parts if you can. <laughs> we will give fair warning which uh, which anime and villain we're going to talk about next. So that you, that way you have the opportunity to, to hit that, what is it, a 15 second, 10 second skip button depending on the platform. Yeah, I think Spotify, it's like a 15 second skip. But <laughs> I don't know if we'll have time to write out the timestamps for the shows that we'll be talking about with their particular villain. So just be warned. Well, one thing we don't want to skip over. I love, okay, sorry, cheesy transitions. But one thing we don't want to skip over <laughs> <laughs> is an amazing new patron that we have at the Strictly series. Ooh, ooh so many patrons recently. I it's, know. It's, oh, my gosh. It's, it's just lovely. It's amazing. I, my, I'm so, like, heartwarmed just thinking about it. But welcome, Abdul R, to our Patreon. Thank you for becoming a patron of the Strictly series. Woohoo! Yes, welcome to our Patreon community, Abdul. We hope your support didn't come with villainous intent because you're <laughs> a hero in our eyes. Oh, I love that. Yes, thank you so much for your support. We very much appreciate it. And if any of our other listeners would like to support the show and get access to all of the fun things that come with being a patron of the Strictly series, like seeing our show schedules, hearing our pre-shows. We just talked about our upcoming trip to Crunchyroll Expo, so that's a pre-show that's upcoming. Sorry to... Oh, no, I won't spoil it for everybody because that's going to come out before this episode comes out. So mm -hmm. no spoilers there. We also have bonus episodes and the opportunity for our patrons to submit questions for us to answer on our podcast and a lot of other things. So if you're interested, head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly Series. So as we mentioned, we are heading to Crunchyroll Expo in a few days. And looking at our flight itinerary, it's, it's going to be an eight-hour total trip because... I don't think there's many direct flights to San Jose, but if there are, we chose not to do a direct flight because like airline tickets are crazy expensive right now. We went with something cheaper, but we do fly through Phoenix and then to San Jose from Chicago. So knowing we have eight hours to kill on this trip, are you planning on watching any anime? Yeah, there were a couple that I was thinking of downloading, although I don't know if our the streaming service tiers that we have will allow for downloading one that i started recently is kaguya-sama love is war oh, that's right you did start that yeah and that was kind of at the recommendation of our friends from anime brothers i believe it was earthworm it was, was... specifically earthworm yeah. <laughs> because jd's in the same boat as me where we tried and we could not connect with kaguya-sama i've gone through the first 10 episodes and like the premise of it is you have these two student council members who have feelings for each other but they are kind of in a an unspoken contest to confess or to see who confesses their love first and so most of this first season are just like the random scenarios that they get into where they're close to confessing and yeah it's 
it's kind of slow right now, but I, I just kind of love the, the comedic elements of it. And I think it's, I know it just wrapped up this year. Th- three seasons, was it? Yeah, I think the uh, some sort of big finale happened last season. Yeah, and I, I think there might be a movie coming out. I'm not entirely sure. Maybe I have to talk to Earthworm about that. But I wanted to binge that on the flight. But again, I have to find a streaming service that we have that offers that like downloading perk. Um, what were you thinking of watching, though? So I'm still working my way through Black Clover. I'm taking a look here on Mal to see where I'm at. Um, I'm at episode 40 out of 170. So an eight-hour trip would be a perfect opportunity to try and binge watch the show and and catch up. Um, Because if I can squeeze in like how many episodes an hour? Like two to three, right? If you skip the OP and ED, they're about 20 minutes. Yeah. So if it's about three episodes per hour, if I binge straight through, which is no problem for someone like me, I could probably kill off like 24 episodes. Or I could pick something that's been on my watch list that's about 12 to 24 episodes and kill off that entire show in the time we're traveling over to San Jose. So I'm kind of up in the air about it. The only problem is I'm I'm also kind of struggling to find a place to download Black Clover. We could pay more at Crunchyroll to mm. up our tier and have well, the opportunity. We're, we're already paying them to go to this expo. I know, right? <laughs> I don't need to pay more to watch Black Clover faster. I could just pick something else that is readily available on one of our other streaming services. So yeah, I'm kind of up in the air. I'm like, do I just kill off a huge chunk of Black Clover? Do I pick something new that I've been waiting to watch and take that opportunity to kill it off? Kill it off sounds strong, but to watch the whole thing, or do I pick something else? I'll try to catch up on some seasonals, the stuff that I'm watching that you're not watching. Um, or maybe you and I can take out a, bun- a bunch of... Ta- I'm, I'm like saying it in a way like we're trying to kill all these anime. We could <laughs> we could try to get through a chunk of Bleach if we wanted to. That's true. We could like... Except it's so hard to... If we have to share like a one phone screen to like watch it like that well i plan to bring my laptop we could watch it can you download stuff on a laptop oh fuck you're right we can't it's usually just on the phone um yeah that kind of makes things a bit difficult maybe at the airport when we have wi-fi we can watch bleach and then when Mm. we're in the air we can watch whatever stuff we're watching separately or yeah i might just take a nap (laughs) that's usually (laughs) what happens when i'm on a flight especially with the flight that we're trying to catch is is pretty early in the morning um so we're gonna have to wake up early just to get ready and then go to the airport and that time where i would have been sleeping i will just use that to take a nap on the plane yeah it is tricky when our airport here in chicago o'hare is one of the busiest airports in the country you have to add more time to your trip to get through you know checking your bag through TSA. I think TSA is probably the longest part of it. Um, So by the time we get to the plane, I always say I'm going to watch a bunch of shows or whatever. But yeah, as soon as we get up in the air, I end up knocking out just from the sheer like stress of having to go through the airport. Yeah. So I I think it'll either be A, watching Kaguya-sama, Love is War, B, taking a nap, or C, this is like the normies screaming out at me, but 
watching uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness because we haven't seen that movie yet. Oh, that's true. I probably wouldn't want to watch that on the plane, but <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I've heard mixed reviews about it. I'm, I'm like mm-hmm. waiting to find the right time to watch it. And me personally, I, I probably wouldn't want, I wouldn't think that the plane is the right time. But if you want to watch it, you can let me know if it's worth my time. Yeah, there, are, there is a category of movies that you watch on planes. And yeah, like I, I've kind of jumped off of the Marvel hype train ever since the end of Avengers Endgame. Uh, or I guess you could also count Spider-Man. Was it No Way Home, the most recent one? I th- yes, I think so. Uh, yeah, after those movies, like I, I, I could really, like I don't loathe like following what's going on in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I think it it nothing so enticing enough for me to want to experience things in theaters or as they as they premiere. So I think Doctor Strange, the second movie, is is a movie that I could put in the category of films that I could watch on a plane and it won't bother me because I had that experience. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. It it sounds like you have, what do they call it, Marvel burnout? Yeah. Marvel Uh, fatigue, one of those two. (laughs) It kind of reminds me of, um, I think the last trip that we took, I actually watched the Space Jam, the, the, the sequel Space Jam, A New Legacy with LeBron James. You did? You watched that? Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah, I watched it on the plane. I downloaded it and watched it on the plane because I was figuring. Was I on that flight with you? Yeah, you. I think you were watching something else. Why don't I remember? I feel like I would have remembered you watching the fucking LeBron James Space Jam movie. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was not good. Well, <laughs> like, the... Nothing beats like the original Space Jam with Michael Jordan. Was that when I was watching Hunter Hunter on the plane? Uh no, that I think that was our trip to Vegas where we oh, were watching. Okay. It was when we went to New Orleans. Oh, I don't remember what I watched on that flight, but I do remember. I vividly remember watching Hunter Hunter on a recent flight because the episode where I guess like minor minor spoilers for Hunter Hunter, the episode where Gon and Kilua teleport to hisoka and he's bathing naked in yeah. like a pond uh there were children behind me and i'm pretty sure my phone was in their line of sight so I, at that point though i was like i have to commit like i can't pause it because then i'll feel even more embarrassed i'm just gonna commit and watch the scene and if someone sees it then they see it <laughs> yeah that was earlier this year uh, i think yeah that was this year because we had reviewed hunter hunter sometime after that and so we were trying to um, cut through as many episodes as we could. Yeah, that's another thing. Like watching anime on flights can be kind of, kind of scary. Like if if you don't know what's about to come on your screen. And even when you think an anime is pretty tame, I feel like they always have that one scene where you're like, I don't want anyone to know that I am watching this right now. Mm-hmm. But you never expect it, and then you're like, Well, shit! I just I either have to pause this and skip ahead or I just have to commit and keep watching it. Yeah, like imagine if you're watching JoJo part three and you see Kakyoin with his scene. <laughs> or it's like <laughs> it's like the fucking okay and like minor-ish spoilers for um Black Butler. It's like how nobody warned me that out of nowhere fucking Sebastian was going to fuck a nun in a barn. I was like, oh. why didn't anyone tell me this? Okay. <laughs> I was like, I, I the show was weird already, but I wasn't expecting that type of scene to unfold. So luckily I was by myself when that happened and it was very quick. 
but I'm glad I wasn't on an airplane with children behind me when that came on. Yeah, so I guess the safest bet would be for us to just take a nap, but you know, <laughs> us being avid anime watchers, we got to squeeze in as much as we can. Well, now let's move on to the topic at hand, which is our favorite villains in anime. This list is pretty much going to be a combination of mostly villains, but a few antagonists, since not all antagonists are villains. There, there are just some antagonists out there who are too good not to include. So I know I have just a couple on my list. Do you have any on, on yours? Antagonists? Yeah, who wouldn't necessarily um, be classified as villains. Yeah, I would say I have a handful that are just antagonists. Uh, maybe I just have like two or three that would be considered outright villains. Oh, I'm the opposite. I feel like most of mine are actual villains, and then a handful are more of like the antagonists. They still cause some mm. some frustrations to the story, but they're not the villains of the story. See, my choices were kind of based on, like I have a personal preference for like the complex villains or antagonists rather than the ones who just want to be bad to the bone because they just want to be bad like evil for the sake of being evil right and i feel like i've referenced this actor a couple times in previous podcast episodes but i think this is perfectly summed up by something that adam driver said uh, adam driver being the actor who played the villain kylo ren in the star wars sequel trilogies uh he said something along the lines of when talking about his character is that he thinks what he is doing is right as opposed to what he is doing as evil because there are people who think that they are right and can't hear another side because they are sure that what they are doing is right. Did you look that up? I have the quote in front of oh, me. Okay, I was going to say. <laughs> I was kind of just <laughs> paraphrasing it, but just being a villain more in that sense where they think that they're doing the right thing. It's just a matter of making sure everyone else is in line with that thinking. I, I'm right there with you. I For me, I approach this list with any villain I found memorable or unique or in that gray space, like just like morally complex. And it was also any villain that I connect with emotionally, whether that emotion is love or hate. So while we're saying these are our favorite villains in anime, that doesn't mean that I necessarily love these villains. Some of them I actually do hate, but I, I hate them in a way that makes them so enjoyable to watch or get some sort of rise out of me every time I see them on screen. And if if that can occur, I think that means that villain has some sort of connection with me. Mm -hmm. But these lists are in no particular order. And while there's a, a great amount of amazing villains out there in anime, this is really like, again, our, our favorites, the ones that mean something to us, the ones that stand out to us. So if there are any here that, uh, or if there aren't any here on, on our list, any that you guys, you know, have on your list or ones that you connect with or you really love or hate, reach out to us. Let us know because we, we want to hear what other good villains are out there. So I think, because you told me before we started recording, that you have like half the amount of <laughs> villains on your list that I have, which is always the case. I always have such a long list compared to yours. Do you want me to do like two, do two villains? Do you want me to list <laughs> off two villains for every one villain that you share? Or how do you want to approach this? 
Yeah, I feel like that's what we've been doing. This is an aside because I. Oh, here we the go. Way that, <laughs> the way that we've always done these episodes, it's it's kind of like you we you have a, a an assignment at school, like a report to do, and so I I'm the kind of guy who you know just picks out the bare minimum, like this, this, and this, and that's what I'm going to talk about. Whereas you're the student who like does extensive research on the things, and then the report becomes like five to five to seven pages and just outshines everybody else. I'm like overly enthusiastic about sharing my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> Although it's the opposite with anime figures. I feel like I curate my collection of anime figures, only the ones that like really mean something to me. And then you have like, you you buy any figure for any movie that comes out like immediately. Like a, a new movie yeah, will be I ride, announced. I ride the, the hype train. There's, yeah, there's some <laughs> figures you buy before you've even seen the movie. And I'm like, okay, I trust that you really care about this character and that you need this. But yeah, our approaches are very, very different here. <laughs> so anyway, um, do you want to start or do you want me to start with two? Let me start because okay. I feel like there's going to be overlap and that's another thing that always happens on these like favorite something type of episodes uh hey, but i i like that we don't share these ahead of time i like the i like our genuine reactions to each other's whatever on our list so yeah mm -hmm. go ahead tell us your first one <laughs> all right uh i know this one is a a hot topic at least for the past two years and coming into next year and this villain comes from Attack on Titan. Oh, I fucking so knew it. So I feel like we still have to tread lightly with spoilers for this. And I know that Attack on Titan is always the exception to that, but I think it's just because the series kind of demands that you talk or spoil as little about it as possible. But the villain that I am referring to is none other than Zeke Yeager. Oh, I had a, an Attack on Titan villain, but I had really? someone totally different. Well, let's talk through yours first. Okay, so I think Zeke is a prime example of that epithet that I recited from Adam Driver earlier about villains firmly believing that what they are doing is right. And the thing with Attack on Titan, I believe the series is notorious not just for it's gratuitous amount of blood and gore as you have the scouts fighting the titans and then the, the conflict escalates uh, beyond that point but if a series i think is is considered it will be considered a, a classic in anime also for flipping the script and shifting our perspectives on what decisions are justified or what decisions are moral in the story and i feel like zeke serves as that go-between for these things in many different ways yeah i i can definitely see how zeke falls in that gray space because you want to hate him for what he's doing but you understand where he's coming from given his past but you also understand like why you know the 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 adult figures in his life chose to do what they did, which caused him to do what he did. But at the end of the day, it's like you learn that there's like a, a another piece of the, I, this is so hard to say without spoiling mm -hmm. anything, but it's like another piece of the puzzle that doesn't come to light till later, where it's almost like, does he now reconsider everything that he's been doing or does he stand firm? I don't know. Yeah. Like it's Zeke is almost kind of like Reiner, I, not to comment on Reiner or anything, but Reiner is, is another one where you want to hate him, but 
but you, you kind of root for him at the end of the day. And I, I feel that way with Zeke. I maybe root for him less so than I would for Reiner, but I could see myself, you know, sympathizing, empathizing with Zeke to a certain degree. Which is crazy because I think we were introduced to Zeke at some point during season two or three. And like after seeing what he does in those seasons, all of, I'm sure a majority of us were like, oh man, fuck this guy. He's, he's the fucking worst. Then as the seasons progress and you learn more about Zeke, it becomes a little bit more difficult, as, as you said, to, to go against him because the more you learn about him and what Zeke plans to do in this story, you can't really argue with it. Like, it, it, it's a pretty solid plan, but part of you still knows that it's, in a way, morally reprehensible. So it's almost like you're trying to choose the lesser of two evils in whether you should back Zeke or you should root for him. But now I'm curious, who is your Attack on Titan villain, your favorite Attack on Titan villain? Um, This one, I think, is the perfect example of me choosing someone that I connect with emotionally and that emotion is hate. It's Gabby Gabby Brown. Is that her fucking oh, last name? Oh, yeah, because she's right... Uh... Yeah. Reiner's cousin. Mm-hmm. I <laughs> fuck Gabby. Fuck Gabby. Yeah. I fucking hate Gabby. <laughs> a lot of people fucking hate Gabby, but I, I definitely am in that camp. And if you if any of you have listened to our Attack on Titan review series throughout, you know, this final season, you'll know we hate Gabby. I think she's the best worst antagonist. I think that she's somebody who they're giving a possible redemption arc to, but despite that, I still cannot align with her because her behavior is i guess understandable given the way she was raised like her upbringing and her environment but there are others in her group and age range who were also raised in a similar i mean identical the same environment who still have the the awareness and the foresight to be able to say maybe I was wrong. Maybe I was raised wrong. Maybe I was told wrong. But she's so firm in her beliefs that it just pisses you off. And I'm like, damn, I hate Gabby so much, but she's so good because I hate her so much. She's probably one of the very few antagonists in anime that actually get a rise out of me where I'm like, I can't stand when she's on screen, but I can't stop watching because she's so entertaining because she she wells up so many emotions in me. And I think a lot of that credit goes to the voice actor, at least uh, for the Japanese or or for the Japanese dub, um, Ayane Sakura, just for how much she imbues that rage and anger in Gabby to make you, to make you like you want to just grab her neck and just <laughs> like choke her, shake her, be or, like, "What's yeah. wrong with you?" No, you're right. I thought Gabby's voice actor should have won the Crunchyroll anime award for best voice actress or voice actor on the Japanese end because yeah she she just does a great job of dumping all of this emotion into her performance to make you feel the confusion and the stubbornness and just everything that comes along with seeing Gabby in any scene that she's in um so yeah Gabby fuck you but you're great like you're great but fuck you I don't know like she's she's a fantastic antagonist and as much as I hate her I think she plays a really important part in Attack on Titan. And I know that uh, particularly with Gabby, 
like a, a lot of people just hated her from from the get-go when she was first introduced in Attack on Titan. And I know this is a, a point that is argued a lot, but there have been comparisons with Gabby's behavior and her sort of character trajectory with another equally important character in Attack on Titan. And so you, you kind of learn to to sympathize with that, even though, I guess, comparably, comparatively, we haven't known Gabby for so long in the story as much as the other character uh, that we have watched throughout the series. Right, and we've talked at length during our Attack on Titan review series about the parallels between Gabby and this other character, but that to me doesn't fully convince me that you know I should get behind Gabby or feel the same way about Gabby as I do the other character. We Again, we've talked at length about that. If you're curious about it, jump into probably most of our Attack on Titan mm-hmm. final season review series episodes, and you'll, you'll hear us chat about it. But for my next one, because I'll, I'll do every two villains for your one villain. My next one comes from My Hero Academia. So now that we've gotten pa- now that we've gotten past Attack on Titan, I think we can kind of open it up to more spoiler territory. So just a reminder, mm. we're going to talk pretty spoiler heavy about some of these villains. So the next one I'm going to talk about is from My Hero Academia, and it's All for One. Really? Yep. See, I was contemplating putting him on my favorites, but he ended up not. I I think he's really entertaining. I think that's why he's on this list because he feels like pure evil and at times he is sort of that evil for the sake of being evil, but there's more to him than that. And I think there's some mystery surrounding him still, which is what keeps me intrigued and engaged in his character. And he's just so fucking OP with his quirk because I think he can give any person a quirk that he has already stolen from another person. And he can kind of keep that stolen quirk in his catalog of quirks, I I believe indefinitely. Mm. He gives All Might a run for his money. Um, He's technically incarcerated, but he still has all of his powers. He's, I think he's just a ticking time bomb at this point. I don't think he's really trying to escape. I think he's waiting out the, waiting it out until the perfect opportunity comes along for him to make that escape and just fuck shit up. There's something about him that I think is just really fun to watch. But on the flip side, I just don't find Shigaraki to be an interesting villain. And I, I think that's why I like All for One even more. Because when we do have to be faced with a villain, All for One is just so much better to watch than Shigaraki. I just don't care about fucking Shigaraki. It's funny because... I think there's there's an obvious parallel between Shigaraki and Midoriya as well as with their their mentor figures which for Shigaraki is all for one and for Midoriya is all might because like I too I, I got to say I find their mentors more fascinating than than the mentees themselves. Yeah, I I'm the same way and I I think Shigaraki is a whiny little bitch. And I know to your point everyone says he's supposed to parallel Midoriya and just the way All for One parallels All Might and all that. But to me, that doesn't make Shigaraki interesting. It also doesn't make All for One interesting. All for, uh, All for One has his own, you know, attributes that make him interesting separate from anything that he has in relation to, to All Might. So it's a little bit harder for me to articulate why I find All for One to be so interesting because we haven't learned a, a ton about him yet. But just the 
the air around him and how incredibly scary he is to a lot of people, including All Might, just lead you to believe that there's something there that can really fuck shit up. Yeah. I, I Again, I was contemplating putting off one on my favorites list. One thing I, I do like is his theme song, which is just a, I think it's just a, a slow piano, kind of like a, over like a distorted effect. And then you have this opera singer, uh, or this female opera singer that's lamenting alongside the piano. Uh, I just think it's a very haunting and appropriate theme for All for One. But the thing with All for One is that I feel like he's one of those villains where it he is kind of evil for the sake of being evil. And I know we've gotten his his backstory, but at the end of the day, like I have to think like he just wants to be this all powerful person with like all these stolen quirks. But like for what reason he just wants to just to like to rule the world or the society of of people with quirks. And that's what makes him a less compelling character for me or a less compelling villain for me but i think on the flip side he serves as the perfect foil or antithesis to all might who is the symbol of peace who have and obviously they, they have um juxtapositions with their names right all for one and one for all a one for all being all might's quirk that it leads to this very explosive battle I forget which season between the two of them where it's not two or three. I can't remember season two or season three. Yeah. Because uh, we breezed through my hero like back when we were trying to catch up to the hype. Um, but you have that battle that's not just between their physical might, but like their ideological might. And I think that's like all for what I would say is a good villain because he has a good hero counterpart in All Might if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it definitely does. And and again, I, I agree. I think he's sometimes evil for the sake of being evil, but I feel like there's this master plan that we're not privy to that's kind of looming in the background. And I think that's why I continue to be in, interested in like what's going on with him. All right, so moving back to my corner, I'm surprised you actually didn't bring up this series uh, right away. Uh, but I have a an antagonist from... Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. And no, it is not the the big baddie of that series. I think he's he's probably like a, a shoe away for a, yeah, he's going to be our favorite villain from Jojo, right? But I'm going to go with one of my favorite antagonists from Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, which is from part 2 Battle Tendency and that is Wamu. Oh, okay. And really quick for context, when we were putting it together our list, we we both agreed that we would force ourselves to pick just one villain or antagonist from JoJo because we could talk all fucking day about it. And honestly, it'll probably be a full-blown topic at some point on our other podcast strictly JoJo. So I was like, we just have to pick one each. So, this was difficult, but we did it. Yeah, and I figure like I I am I would kind of be a hypocrite if I, I talk. Okay, it's Deal, right? Like he's he's the best <laughs> villain in all of JoJo, but he kind of goes against what I was saying about my preference for villains having like the complex story and not just being evil for the sake of being evil. Dio is literally the Antichrist in JoJo. Like he is evil for the sake of being evil. Yeah. But in terms of Wamu, like why I find him as one of my favorite antagonists is he... 
He's a villain. I think we could straight up say he's a villain, oh, right? Yeah. I and mean, it's part of, as part of the Pillarmen, yes. They're like that collective group of villains for part two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's he is like an outrageous Pillarman, not just in terms of like his his abilities or the fact that he was the one who just walked through that one soldier, right? And then I just cut that soldier in half right away. I think it was him, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he also just has a a very powerful moment of redemption uh, close to the climax of part two. Uh, that, that's when he's in that chariot race with Joseph. And I would say he's he's not villainous, but he's just more antagonistic in comparison to ACDC and Cars, who I would say is like the lead, like the leader of their their trio, right? Uh, I would say Wamu is antagonistic only for the sake of protecting those two other pillar men that he considers his friends, until he comes to realize the error of their ways towards the end of the the chariot battle, and I think that's because Wamu lives by an incorruptible warrior code. And that's what kind of serves as his true moral compass. Like he does all of the things that we consider terrible because it's kind of in line with with what he believes is part of his warrior code. Yeah. And he's one of those rare villains who actually respects the protagonist or Mm -hmm. like his enemy. So in this case, he really respects Joseph. He calls him, what does he call him that one time when he, when he's talking to Caesar? He's like, where's that audacious loudmouth? Like he, in every aspect of that, that relationship, quote unquote, there's no reason for Wamu to ever vibe with Joseph, right? Like Mm -hmm. they're complete opposites, but because Wamu identifies a sort of warrior's type of respect in Joseph or, or sees that in him, he he respects him as his enemy and does what he does only for the sake of up, like upholding that code, not because he just wants to purely slaughter or get rid of Joseph. Right, which is all that Cars wants to do, right? And so Cars is, again, he's the villain, he's the true villain of this trio because he's kind of manipulating Wamu to do the things that he wants to achieve in becoming the most powerful being I get by by exploiting Wamu's reverence to this code and again like Wamu he kind of comes to the realization at the end that what Joseph's doing is even though like they're on opposite sides of the the battlefield like he still comes to respect what Joseph is doing uh, and you know that leads to a very beautiful moment between the two at the climax of their chariot battle so who is your JoJo, or your favorite JoJo villain or <laughs> yeah, antagonist? Yeah, while we're on the topic of JoJo, I mean, yeah, Dio is fucking amazing, but really my favorite villain and who's always been my favorite villain more so than Dio is Yoshikage Kira. Of course. From part four, Diamond is Unbreakable. Like I love Kira. I've loved him since day one, day one being when he was, when I finally got introduced to him when I made it to part four. He is just such a, not only a unique Jojo villain, but a unique villain overall because he doesn't want to take over the world. He doesn't want all the wealth and power that most villains seek. He literally just wants to live a quiet life and even says so in part four of Jojo. He's still fucked up, right? Because he's a serial killer. Mm -hmm. But most of his struggle in part four isn't trying to like dominate or attack like go on the the offense with the his enemy the protagonist 
he's actually trying to run away and defend himself <laughs> from Josuke and the gang, which again, I think is very, very unique. Like he is the villain, but when you kind of stop and think about it, you, you almost want to empathize with him because he just doesn't want any of this. He never asked for any of this. He didn't really ask for... Um, you know, for needing to to change his identity or, you know, basically kidnap a, a family unknowingly or, you know, fucking do all the crazy shit that he does in Morio. Like, he didn't ask for any of this. He just wanted to sit at home and chop off ladies' hands and have dinner with, with their hands, you know? Like, that's all he wanted. Yeah, <laughs> that goes back to what he, th- like, he thinks that him, he... I'm losing my my um, possessive, but he thinks that what he is doing in wanting to live a quiet life is fine, right? The bigger picture is you can't just cut off ladies' hands and then kill them. Yeah. And I think what's so fascinating about Kira is that he does his best to, to cover up what he's doing, but as part four progresses, it becomes increasingly harder to the point where, like you said, he has to take on someone else's identity just to protect himself. Yeah, he like literally doesn't want any of this attention. Yeah. He doesn't want <laughs> anything. He just wants to be left the fuck alone. Yeah, so it's fascinating. <laughs> it's like it, the villain who doesn't want to be a villain, right? He just wants some goddamn peace and quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, he has some of the best lines of a villain. Like nothing, nothing like crazy over the top. Um, nothing, you know, like, like Dio saying, Kono Dio da, or... I'm throwing away my humanity, Jojo. Like, nothing like that. It's stuff like, uh-oh, you've seen it. Or, like, when he starts quoting, like, my name is Yoshikaga Kira. Um, I'm 33 blah. years old. My yeah. home is in the upscale neighborhood <laughs> of Northeast Memorial. Like, <laughs> what the fuck is that, right? Like, that is a crazy, crazy villain line to to deliver. And you just, you don't get that from many other villains than someone like Kira. I just, I love him so much. And I already love part four, but he's got to be one of my favorite parts of part four. I think it's almost like he has a like Hannibal Lecter vibes. Like, like he's creepy. He's yeah. so creepy. Especially yeah, his his whole summary of his life, which is probably one of the most iconic moments out of Part Four. I think another thing iconic about him is his theme song. Uh, oh my god, best theme song yes. ever! <laughs> I, I feel like maybe we shared this at some point on Strictly JoJo, but there's the there's that YouTube video. Uh, it's called, I'm looking at it right now, Yoshikage Kira's theme goes with everything, waffle falling over. I fucking love that video. <laughs> <laughs> like, it has that that nice balance of whimsy and terror. And if you watch this video, trust me, you feel like it's going to be a waste of time, but it isn't. Just, just, <laughs> just wait for it. We're going to, we'll share the link to that YouTube video, the Kira waffle video in the Discord um, so if you're not a member of our dis- Discord, the link to join is in the description. But yeah, we'll drop that in there in the Strictly JoJo channels so that anyone can see it who hasn't been blessed with the Kira Waffle video. But yeah, I-, I love Kira and I can't wait to turn 33 later this year so that I can quote his quote. But, you know, just say it's <laughs> me just, because I'm 33 like, years old. <laughs> without cutting off people's hands. Yeah, <laughs> without all the fucked up shit that he does. Also... He um, indirectly brought us Duong Gang, so there you go. All right, what a beautiful Duong. Chew. <laughs> All right, so who is next on your list? Wait, well, did I go have, again? Yeah, I'm losing count second. already. So I'll, I'll jump from JoJo to another big name anime, and this is Code Geass. Mm. But maybe it's not who you're thinking, or maybe it is who you're thinking. It is fucking Rolo. 
Oh, shout out to Rob. (laughs) (laughs) It's Rolo because Rolo is that complex character. He has a super fucking tragic story. He was obsessed with Lelouch because he really wanted family. He really wanted a brother, but he was also incredibly selfish and overly protective and wanted to essentially keep Lelouch to himself, wanted to get rid of Nunnally because, again, he wanted to be Lelouch's one and only sibling. And it's sad because Lelouch fed on that desire and manipulated Rolo until Rolo ultimately sacrifices himself for the brother he always wanted, even if Lelouch wasn't really the brother he was seeking. But at the end of the day, fuck Rolo. Like, fuck Rolo, dude. He he was annoying as shit. Um, he killed somebody that he really should not have. He was just a thorn in Lelouch's side. Even, I think as much as Rolo was useful to Lelouch, he was equally annoying to Lelouch. And watching him kind of do this emotional whiplash of like wanting to be there for Lelouch and then suddenly mistrusting or like, uh, you know, no longer trusting Lelouch and, and questioning him or questioning the people around him. It was so exhausting, but incredibly entertaining at the same time. Because I, I, when I first watched the show, I genuinely didn't know where Rolo's relationship with Lelouch would end. I didn't know what the fuck was happening in that show because of how <laughs> fast-paced it was going. But uh, yeah, I, I do remember like my my loathing for Lelouch. Not Lelouch, what am I saying? For for Rolo. Uh, But then, obviously, he has like a a kind of tragic demise uh, where you kind of feel sorry for the guy. But, you know, to kind of tie in with our episode last week with uh, Shonen Flop, where we were talking about dairy types, I think Rolo falls under the the Yandere uh, tier, or the Yandere trope. Yeah, I could see that. He definitely has tendencies. And, like, characters like that where it's, they have this really twisted admiration and devotion to somebody in this case like i know yandere is more commonly used for like like you like obsessive tendencies yeah, for like romantic obsessive tendencies but for rollo it's like he has a a strong twisted admiration for lelouch that it leads him to to do things that are not of any benefit to anyone Especially the the character that meets their demise at Rolo's hands. Yeah. Fuck Rolo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now who's next on your list? All right. This might be a hot take, but I don't think it really is if you consider all things. Uh, this is a, I'll say it's a villain from Death Note. Oh. But that villain is Light Yagami. I have Light on my <laughs> list too. Yeah. And I, I listed him. I was debating listing him as the antagonist or the villain, but he's the protagonist in the story. He's the villainous protagonist. Yes. Because, you know, like, not all protagonists have to be someone that you root for. Like, there there are anti-heroes out there, but Light, I think, is just straight-up villain. He wants to be, he says it himself, he wants to be the god of the new world just because he finds the current world dreary and boring like boring yeah, yeah. boring and specifically so, like in the beginning of this of the story of death note um he just he finds the death note and he well, he kind of just plays along for fun right and then it just that power kind of just goes to his head and he, like we we know how intelligent light is because he, he's an a student later on i think right he works for the for the police right yes at, at, uh, at a later point so he 
throughout the story becomes this cold and calculating villain who at first feels justified in his own actions. And again, we as the audience, we we kind of agree because at first he's just killing criminals who probably weren't worthy of, of living, right? Like the ones in, in, in prison or committing heinous crimes. But it's up until he, he gains the strong desire to start covering up his tracks where he's killing more so to protect himself. That's where you start to root less and less for him. And I know like there's this intense cat and mouse chase between him and L that also makes us want light to prevail in the end. But then it's kind of like that, that hollow victory, right? Because we know what he's doing is not morally justifiable, but we, we only do it because he's the protagonist of death note. Yeah, Light is the most brilliant scum of the earth. Like what he's doing on the surface seems righteous, but really, I mean, he he's pretty self-serving um, throughout most of this. And you do have to admire how he just straight up says, this world is boring and I'm going to do what I need to do to clean it up and become the god of, of this world. Like he's he's so confident that he just straight up says that. And I think that Light is a, a very entertaining villain to watch because of the way he approaches all of the obstacles that he faces and not only that just his behaviors i mean i've never seen anyone take a chip and eat it the way he does (laughs) (laughs) very iconic moment in all of anime but i do want to give a shout out or at least an honorable mention to an antagonist or the antagonist of death note which is technically l he is a fucking amazing antagonist. Like mm. the purpose of an antagonist in a story is to cause friction or to present some sort of barrier that the protagonist has to overcome. Hopefully I'm I'm correctly describing an antagonist. And here that is exactly what L is. I mean, one of the most iconic moments in my mind is when I think L and Light first meet when L or sorry, when Light first goes to college. And L just straight up turns to light and does that like glare, that like creepy yeah. glare right at him and says, oh, by the way, I'm L," And just freaks light the fuck out. Like the panic in that scene, the the things going through L, uh, light's eye. Sorry, I can't I can't distinguish between L and light because they both start with L. The panic going through light's mind throughout that scene was so fun to watch because you would never expect an antagonist or even a villain to pull a move like that. Yeah, because it, it just throws out Light's whole line of thinking and and logic. Because like he starts thinking, now that I have this information, what am I what am I supposed to do? Like if I try to to kill this guy, that everyone's gonna know that I, I'm Kira or whatever. Um, so yeah, it. I think from that point onward, like that cat and mouse game between them, like the stakes are just amplified, and it makes you sit on the edge of your seat trying to see who's going to win this game and one cool thing about death note is that it it flips the script right because you would expect that l would be the protagonist of the story and that um that light would be the antagonist but in in this case the tables are turned and again we're forced to root for who is ultimately the villain in this story while we are led to sort of shy away from rooting for L. Yeah, I love that Death Note 
like the main character of Death Note is also the villain of the story. I think that's cool. It sets up a really cool dynamic and gave us one of the best villains in anime. One of our favorites, that's for sure. So the next one on my list, um, I'll kind of go through quickly because he's one that I enjoy, but I don't have much to comment on because of just where I'm at in the story. And it's um, from Durarara, uh, the, I guess, really the main antagonist. There's a lot of characters in the show, um, but I would say this character is one of the key antagonists, and that's Izaya Orihara. He's, he's, I don't know if he's the villain or if he truly is just an antagonist, because again, I'm not far enough into the show to be able to distinguish that, but he's essentially the puppet master pulling the strings in Ikebukuro, kind of pulling the strings among the the slew of characters that are in this show. He's an information broker, so he knows everything about everyone and all of the goings-on in Ikebukuro and kind of uses everybody as a, a chess piece in his larger game. So I'm excited to finish this anime. Um, I, I think it's finished now. Either way, catch up to wherever it's at. Um, and kind of see how things play out with him and what ultimately becomes of him. But I find him fun because um, he's not always the main focus of the show. Um, and even when he's not, he still plays a significant part in the background. And then the next villain I have is from Fruits Basket. But hmm. are you going to watch Fruits Basket? How much spoilerness should I should I get into here? Well, I think... I've been warned. I have to warn myself about the spoiler alert that we give our listeners, right? So <laughs> you can spoil away. I'll probably forget about it uh, after I edit this episode. Okay. Well, from Fruits Basket, it's the uh, the big baddie here, Akito Soma. Like fuck Akito. It's similar to Gabby, Akito falls into that area of emotionally connecting with the character because of how much I hate them. Like Akito is psychotic. Um, I don't care what happened in the past. You don't do what you did to literally your entire family the way that you did that. You you don't do that shit. <laughs> That's a lot of dudes. I know. I, I I'm trying not to like you did spoil that, it. Don't I, I do, do want that, you to the watch thing that you did. <laughs> I do want you to watch this anime, but I guess you know, still kind of big spoilers. Like at one point, Akito tries to stab somebody. Tries to stab a member of their own family, and I'm like, well, fuck you. You're absolutely insane. And because. This character is so insane. It just makes for for a really interesting drama. Like this is already a drama of dramas in anime, but Akito takes that to the next level. So for anyone who's watched Fruits Basket, I'm sure you understand like how fucking frustrating this character is. Yeah, too many fruits in their basket. <laughs> 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 All right, who is next on your list? All right, let's see. I have, I think, five left on my list. Uh, I have more than that. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> uh, so this next one is from Demon Slayer. Uh, I think this was, yeah, this was season one because they play a very, or they are part of a very pivotal moment in season one. I think it's episode 19. Uh, the, the always talked about episode. Yeah, and... I am referring to, I guess you could call him the villain, especially in in that later arc of season one. And that is Rui. I think he was part of the, what, the, the Kizuki, the 12 Kizuki. Yeah, but I don't remember if he was upper or lower. He was he was lower, right? Uh, let's see. I'm pulling up the uh, Demon Slayer wiki. He is of the lower rank five. So yeah, he is a, he is a villain uh, in Demon Slayer. Uh, but again, this goes back to 
the the, the Adam Driver epithet, right? Uh, and Demon Slayer, it's a series that is well known for the emotionally compelling backstories that in it injects in its antagonists. But I think none so far has had a greater impact both on me and on the story as Ruri has. And again, in the beginning, kind of like with Zeke from Attack on Titan, this was a villain that I really wanted Tanjiro to slice and dice, right? Especially because he kidnaps Nezuko, right? Because he has this kind of twisted sense of wanting to build a family or like to have her as his his sister to protect. Just like Rolo. No, yeah, there you go. There's <laughs> parallels there. And obviously that creates a lot of conflict between him and Tanjiro. And you have that amazing uh, that amazing scene where the music starts swelling and, and it's a, I think it's called like uh, Tanjiro's song or whatever uh, and that plays as he is partnering up with Nezuko to take down Rui and then you realize that Rui, you forget that Rui's act, he's a Kizuki, he's he's more powerful than this novice demon slayer until Giyu comes and just slices his head off uh, but then that that triggers the emotional backstory that we find with Rui is that the only reason that he wanted to uh, have Nezuko as his own is because he had this longing for an actual family. Uh, and then I forget really what happens with that, but it, it leads to his demise. And then you have Muzan Jackson who kind of exploits Rui's desire for that family. So it makes Rui interest, an interesting villain because he is not inherently evil. He is just so laser focused on this one aspect uh, or like this one thing that's missing from his life, which is family that causes him to do these things and act under uh, uh, Muzan's bidding. Yeah, another villain where on the surface or when you first get introduced to them, you're like, fuck you, you're you're the bad guy. You're trying to you know kill or stop the protagonist of the story. But then when you dig deeper into why they behave the way that they do, why they you know believe the things that they do, you're kind of like, oh, that's really sad. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like it's one of the things that makes Demon Slayer so fascinating is that it, like, it makes you connect with these villains. I don't know how the fuck we're supposed to connect with Muzan if it's ever going to lead to that point. We but, just don't know enough about him. We know nothing about him. Again, that that mystery makes him a bit intriguing. Yeah, and like there have been other cases with similar demons. I think in in the second season where it kind of plays on this this uh, theme of family. But again, I don't think like I don't think it holds a candle to what we experienced in season 1 with Rui. So, I think that's what makes him so far in that series stand out as one of my favorite villains. I have um a a villain here that um I'm wondering if you'll agree with me about it being like a really good villain. I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's Fire from away. it's from Hunter Hunter. But it's probably not who you think it is. It's Hisoka. <laughs> that was my next one. Oh, I I figured you would have had um, Meruem as your 
your villain. Well, I'm not going to spoil anything just yet. Oh, okay. Oops. Well, mine is Hisoka, who I forgot had a last name because I'm trying to like give the full name for a lot of these characters. Hisoka Maro. I, f- I did not remember what that he had. a plain last name. I know. I, I forgot. Did they even say in the anime that he had a last name? Anyway, no, that's his name, remember. I guess. Hisoka Maro. Um, yeah, Hisoka is great. Whether Hisoka you class- is so sneaky. I know. Hisoka is so sneaky. For, for anyone who doesn't know, when we watched Hunter x Hunter for the first time, for some reason, the episode title Hisoka is so sneaky just stuck with me. And now I say it all the time for like no reason. I think I love Gon so much that I figure like this is how Gon would describe Hisoka. Like Hisoka is so <laughs> sneaky. I don't know. Something about it just seems really innocent. It's an understatement I want to say yeah. about Hisoka. <laughs> it's just such a cute episode title. But anyway, yeah, Hisoka is so sneaky. He's so funny. He's so conflicting. Um, whether you classify him as an antagonist or a full-on villain, I think really depends on what part of the story you're in and what role he's playing because there are times where he partners with Gon and Kilua, and there's other times where he wants to kill them. In fact, most of the time he kind of does want to kill them. But yeah, I, en- I enjoy him because he's a wild card. No pun intended because he has fucking you know, a deck of cards, but he really is a wild card where you don't know what to expect with this guy. You don't know who whose side he's on. You don't know who, you know, when to trust him when he tells you different things or promises different things. I just love that he's incredibly unexpected all the time. Yeah, whether or not he's the villain or the antagonist of Hunter Hunter, he is unpredictable. And I, I think that's one fascinating quality about him that makes him kind of teeter the line between good guy or bad guy. Uh, I think there are glaringly obvious comparisons to the Joker and Batman because, you know, they, they both have the, Besides the, the clown. clown. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they have the clown getup. But I think Hisoko is also of that mentality where he just kind of wa- like he kind of wants to watch the world burn and just be in it as it's burning. He just wants to find the strongest dude to yeah. defeat him. And that, yeah, that's the other thing is he is so drawn to strength and to power all in a bid to kind of prove himself as a superior hunter. And if he has to change his allegiances to do so, then he'll he'll do it without any regard to how it might affect his own reputation and standing. So there, again, is quality of him where he's not inherently evil. It's just the means that he goes through to achieve his end. He partners, again, with Gon and Kilua. And you think like, oh, maybe he's turning over a new leaf. But no, like in the back of his head, even though he's helping these two kids, he's like, someday I'm going to fight you and I'm going to kill you. (laughs) It's always to his own benefit. Yeah, it's very self-serving. Like the only reason he's helping them succeed is because if they succeed, they grow. And if they grow, they become more formidable foes for him in the future. And he sees the potential, especially in Gon, to the the point where it gives him a hard on. I mean, quite quite literally. Yeah, the Hisoka-gasm face that we have in our Discord. Like it's kind of iconic, his glowing boner. Um, and it, it's just it's it's I don't know, like it, it it kind of takes you on that that emotional roller coaster where you're like, I don't know if I should hate or love Hisoka in any given moment. Most of the time it, he's entertaining. I think that's that's a given. But whether or not I truly morally root for him, again, it just depends on what he's doing in a particular moment with a particular person. It's never the same. And also, his theme song is such a vibe. Oh my god, it's a fucking <laughs> all these, banger! All these villains have like terrific theme songs. Probably some of them better than their 
respective protagonist. Uh, it's unique though because uh, who composes? I think it's Yoshihisa Hirano who composes the music for uh, Hunter Hunter, at least the 2011 series. And the the theme he chooses for Hisoka is Spanish guitars, and I think there are castanets that play in the background, which is kind of like what you you don't expect that from a character who looks like a fucking clown, right? You would expect like circus music or something, but just the fact that you use this kind of Spanish or Latin inspired soundtrack for Hisoka, I think that makes him feel even more mysterious, like gives him that, that aura of ambiguity. Yeah. You think that type of theme song wouldn't work, but it works very, very well for him. Well, since we're on the topic of Hunter Hunter, and we kind of alluded to this earlier, uh, I'll go ahead and list my, I think this is my second to last uh, favorite villain on my list. Uh, it's it's Meruem, of course, from the Chimera Antark. That's a good one. That is a really good one. Yeah, again, he falls into that category of the complex villains that I love. The ones that I think Meruem at first, he, he is like born of almost pure evil, right? Because uh, he's the he is like the crowning achievement of the well, the Chimera Queen or whatever she was. Like Meruem is the result of her numerous phases of burying these Chimera ants, and she, then he's the 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 product of a lot of trial. And yes, error. so he is the powerful being of Hunter Hunter in that arc. And probably the most powerful that we've seen in Hunter Hunter, save for uh, Netro, because obviously they have their showdown um, in the climax of the Chimera Antarch. But as much as we see him just committing these evil acts, because again, that that's all he knew at the time that he was born, throughout the arc, we start to bear witness not just to the destruction that Marowen... Do we lay witness to all <laughs> the devastation? <laughs> Shout, Shout out, out to Aaron. <laughs> yeah, to Aaron from Under the Bun and also from, from those ashes. Uh, but yeah, we lay witness to not just the destruction that Marowen <laughs> is capable of, but also the, the compassion that he also attains through his relationship with Komugi. And that leads him down this road to... Like his his complex struggle and, and his philosophy with what he really wants to achieve in this world, whether it is for like the chimera ants to have domination over all of the human and natural society. Yeah, he's kind of like a lost a lost soul throughout mm-hmm. most of his arc. Like he's he's grappling between his instinct and his moral compass that's starting to develop. And I would say he has one of the most emotional conclusions of any villain I've seen in anime. Right. It's it's not a fall from grace. Because again, he's expected to be the Chimera Ant King again and, and have dominion over all. But when he starts engaging in those those games of Gungi, right? It's Gungi with a Yes. Gungi with Kamugi. And it runs. It it boils him down to this this human level that we thought wasn't capable in Chimera Ants because they're they're bred to be these perfectly evolved beings until 
Kamugi brings out the the emotion in him, the the ability to empathize with another being. And when he enters that conflict with Netro, because Netro being like the head of the Hunter Association, like he is the one person who's capable, who's probably capable of defeating Merum before he can really capitalize on his instinct to be like the evil villain of Hunter Hunter, we start to question whether it's right for Netro or the Hunter Association to defeat Meruem because now we're seeing that it's kind of like humans are the ones that are kind of in villains in some sense. It's kind of like you're the way that you look at things kind of like in a, an attack on Titan. And then, yeah, like you said, it leads to what probably one of the most emotional moments I've seen in anime. And I've told you this on our Hunter Hunter uh, review with anime brothers, that it was one of the few moments in anime that actually brought a tear to my eye. Wow. Yeah. Like I said, it was very emotional, very, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was like good and sad all at the same time. Mm-hmm. So my next one, I don't have like a ton of notes because we don't know enough about this character, but I still very much enjoy this character and it's from Jujutsu Kaisen and it's Sukuna. And I think- Sukuna these nuts. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I think Sukuna is great because he's just lying in wait. He knows he's OP. He knows he can fuck shit up, but he's sort of sitting back and waiting, observing the situation, waiting for the right moment to strike. Like technically his hands are tied given his situation with Itadori, but let's be honest, when he wants to make a move, he probably can. And similar to Shigaraki, I just don't care about, what is it, Mahito or whatever. Mm -hmm. And like the Discount League of Villains, like I don't find any (laughs) of them really that compelling compared to Sukuna. I think he's so fucking badass that there's going to be, I don't know, when, when he's fully introduced as like the true villain of the story, when he has his moment to shine, I fully believe it's going to be wild and I can't wait for it. Yeah, I've made comparisons between Jujutsu Kaisen and Harry Potter where I think that Sukuna is sort of like Lord Voldemort, uh, where like Voldemort was, was also kind of in hiding at the beginning of that series, much as Sukuna is right now, um, at least through season one. But I think what makes him fascinating is that he he is kind of like uh, Itadori's trump card, where again he he's in a solitary state. But when he is brought out, like you don't know what to expect from him, and that's what makes him like scary and terrifying. And I too want to just learn more about the, the King of Curses. The more that we have the story of Jujutsu Kaisen adapted for anime. But yeah, he's one of those cases where I I think he is just in that category of people who are evil for the sake of being evil. But I'll agree, like him in comparison to the the discount League of Villains, it's like to put this in like biblical terms, it's like being introduced to the apostles when you know that Jesus is in the room. I, I can see what you're saying about Tsukuna being evil for the sake of being evil, but I think that's okay in the sense because the way curses are 
um, the way they're kind of explained in the story and the way they function in the story is like they are just what they are. There's nothing really complex about them. Like, yeah, there's some tie-in to the way humans might feel or like where these curses first came from, but the curses themselves, like there's there's nothing really deep about them. Like with Sukuna, I don't expect that we'll ever get some sort of like crazy twist to his backstory. I don't even think he'll probably have much of a backstory, but that's okay because from the get-go they said, look, this is just going to be an evil thing that exists in the world. So because they kind of lay that out in the beginning, I can I can accept that. Um, but I think the fact that Sukuna is keeping Itadori happy for his own self-serving goal of eventually overtaking him is really interesting, but that doesn't mean that he has to serve Itadori. He can easily say no. Like with the mm. whole, what's his name, Junpei? Like that whole thing how Itadori was like begging him to to help him save this kid and he was like nah fuck you dude he's <laughs> just like no <laughs> fuck you i think that's great like it, it's it's such a cool dynamic between this protagonist and the villain who literally is inside of him it yeah, sounds I, weird <laughs> <laughs> yeah all the the fingers that are inside Itadori right now <laughs> yeah i mean technically <laughs> that is true mm-hmm. i think what probably sells Sukuna as a formidable villain is his charisma. Yeah. Because, right? yeah, I, I, you could say, or I could say that Sukuna is just evil for the sake of being evil, but I think it's the charisma about him and the aura that he possesses that makes him a villain that is more interesting than the I'm going to kill everyone kind of villain. Next, I have... And we could finally fucking talk about it because you finally caught up on this anime. It's Made in Abyss, Bondrude. Mm, Let's talk okay. about Bondrude. We have mm. not had a chance to do so. I cannot <laughs> wait. So I, I this is one I was not. It's not going to sit well with me. <laughs> you and I have very different feelings about Bondrude, and I think there is kind of a a clear line in the sand among the Made in Abyss fandom on where people stand with Bondrude. Like either you hate Bondrude. Or you love Bondrude. And the people who love him, I think genuinely don't think he did anything wrong because his intent was to do something that could better humanity and increase survival rates. But on the other side, which is generally the side that I sit on, you some people hate him because his methods of getting to that ultimate goal are fucked up. Like just fucked up. I, I get it. You have to do trial and error to come up with a, um, you know, some sort of remedy or a solution. But using the method that he uses, which is sacrificing children, is pretty fucking extreme. Like, is there no other way, right? And you can argue all day that these children are orphaned. They're not going to have a good future. They don't have a family or whatever. So are they really useful No, I guess in Bondrude's eyes, but I think it's still crazy that he's doing what he's doing, even if it is to better society. Yeah, this is the most fucked up father figure I've I've seen in recent (laughs) anime, Um, and I am in the camp where I I I don't think that Bondrude is a is a should be heralded as uh, someone who is helping to save humanity by putting these children through these horrendous experiments and it's it's one of those things where do the means justify the ends uh I, I, that's one thing that's that's fascinating about his involvement in the story of maiden abyss is 
like that it poses that kind of moral dilemma but like in my heart i can't forgive what he did to nanachi and miti miti <laughs> now you know why i'd always say miti mm-hmm. well i think prushka is a great example of like how morally complex bondrid is because again some would argue that had bondrid not saved her she would have died and that on top of that, he gave her a very happy, loving life and saved her multiple times. But then on the flip side, he only saved her so that he could use her later to his benefit. Right. Right. Like it almost would have been more, again, it's 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 a gray space, but you could argue that it could it was almost a more um, like, like a, a kinder path to just let her pass versus saving her only to ultimately use her in kind of a torturous way mm-hmm. for your own benefit. Yeah, it's that question of like moral relativity, or I think there's that uh, like um, scenario of like the the two train tracks, right? And there's a train approaching. Do you put it on, or do you set it to the track where it's just one person that's being killed, or do you set it to the track where it's uh, a group of people that are about to be killed, right? And it's sort of like Prushka is on that one track um, in order for uh, Bonju to achieve what he wants by having people kind of adapt to the secrets of what lies further down in the abyss. But again, like my my moral compass says that what he is doing is uh, when you kind of weigh things, everything just seems morally reprehensible instead of morally beneficial to all of society i'm excited to see more about bondrud i think eventually he'll come back and yeah we'll we'll find out more fucked up things about him i'm sure he's not the only fucked up person that they're going to encounter on their journey but he's definitely up there that's for sure yeah this whole show is just fucked up it's amazing (laughs) it's amazing (laughs) yeah all right so i have my last favorite villain and in in these kinds of episodes i like to include uh options or choices that are just purely for nostalgic purposes so for my last one i've chosen team rocket from pokemon oh i have them too on <laughs> oh, my do. list <laughs> jesse and james and and meowth hell yeah meowth, that's right the og team rocket right not whoever the fuck is <laughs> was in the show for a little bit after them but they I came back yeah, right i, I don't I don't fucking know. It's all about Indigo League, right? <laughs> uh, and, you know, I know that us millennials probably know the their mantra, their motto, like, by heart. The, the prepare for trouble, make it double to protect the world from devastation, to unite all peoples within our nation. All that jazz. Uh, but, I, like, I'm sure most of us grew up on Pokemon, so they were kind of the the first anime villains that we were introduced to. And... It was more just just the comic relief of Jesse, James, and Meowth. Um, they always seemed like they were they were nefarious folks in Pokemon, trying to get in the way of Ash's journey to become a Pokemon master uh, and, and trying to steal Pikachu. But then it it, it, it kind of just turns into like a, a Looney Tunes skit where like they get the short end of the stick and they go blasting off again into into the skies. Um, so I guess they're not like villainous 
they're more just antagonistic because it's it's Giovanni, right, that's leading the pack for them. Yeah, and there are times that Team Rocket has to team up with our our main characters with Ash and the gang. I I think the English dub is just so great for Team Rocket because the banter you sometimes get between Jesse and James and even with Meowth, you're like, who wrote this shit? It's genius. It's <laughs> fucking genius. Like, you don't appreciate it as a kid, but when you grow up and you look back on some of those, like, witty moments, you're like, this is fucking amazing. I think, yeah, it was just all puns between them. <laughs> like, in their conversations with one another and when they're trying to dupe Ash, Brock, and, and Misty. But I, I remember the episode where... They were all on that island with the giant Pokemon, and then they lose their Pokemon, uh, and so they have to team up to go find them. Yeah, uh, I guess that, that was a good moment for for Team Rocket to team up with the trio. Uh, but then it was just back to good versus bad after that. My next one, I'm kind of surprised you didn't have on your list, but maybe maybe you don't uh, connect with this character as much as I thought you would. But it's from Vinland Saga. And it's Askeladd. Askeladd is a fucking cold-hearted killer, a man of survival, but he has one of the strangest relationships with Thorfinn because he killed his dad. Thorfinn wants to kill him, but he essentially, like, indirectly um, takes Thorfinn under his wing. He gives him an opportunity to survive. He gives him clothing and food and even trains him on how to fight when he ultimately wants to kill him anyway, uh, when Thorfinn wants to kill Askeladd anyway, and almost becomes Thorfinn's father figure because he killed Thorfinn's dad in the first place. <laughs> like, it's such a complex relationship. And I still think at the end of the day, Askeladd is the villain, but I also think that he's so much more than that. Like, it just depends on what lens you're looking at Askeladd through, because if you feel like he's in the wrong, if you feel like he can't be redeemed, then yeah, he really is the villain for what he's done and what he's put Thorfinn through. But if you look at the opportunities he has given Thorfinn, and I think some of the guilt that he starts to show towards the end of the the first season about what he did to Thorfinn's dad... I, I think then you start to see him as maybe less of a villain and more of an antagonist. So he's kind of on on that line. He teeters on that line, depending on you know the the point in his relationship with Thorfinn. Yeah, I don't know if I ever saw Askeladd as like the the villain of that story, but yeah, I guess it's more of a kind of like a secondary protagonist with antagonistic characteristics because uh, I think. Like Askeladd, he he does what he does because he was like born and bred into the warrior, the, the Viking warrior culture, and that 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 was the only thing that he knew. But things changed when he had to, or like he was kind of forced to kill Thorfinn's father, right? And then now, like after that point, he kind of felt like he had this responsibility to Thorfinn, even though he kept trying to get Torfin to to stop following him and like all Torfin wanted to do was just to to be the the one to kill Askeladd as vengeance for his father's death but he's kind of robbed of that moment um in the finale um and it just leads to this kind of beautiful poetic moment for Askeladd where 
it, it serves that like it serves as a lesson to Torfin about what it means to really live your life and not to just consume yourself in this this cycle of vengeance and violence, but learning how to to move on from that and learn what to truly appreciate in life, which is what Tor's ultimately wanted for Torfin. So it's kind of like Askeladd led him down the same path that Tor's wanted to lead him down. It was just uh, a detour way. Like a different means of getting there. Right. A different style of parenting, essentially. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like, uh, to compare it with Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, Askeladd is kind of like the Yondu to Torfin's Star-Lord. I could see that. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next few that I have on my list, I really don't have a lot of notes. I just, for some reason, like enjoy these these villains. Um, the I'll, I'll kind of run these. You're done with your list, right? You've, you've shared yes. all of them? Okay. So I'll, I'll run through these last three a bit quicker. The first one is Promised Neverland, season one. So I don't acknowledge season two. There's it's a season two? Promised Neverland? I'm kidding. Oh, <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Um, yeah, so season one of Province Neverland, Isabella, a.k.a. Mama. Mama. She's Ooh, freaky, dude. Okay. I she's, was contemplating putting her on my list. She's good. I, she was probably one of the best parts of the show. Like, She made the show as creepy and eerie, as mysterious as it was. She She tricked all these kids into them believing that she cared about them. But ultimately, she was just doing her job, which was farming kids for as food for some fucking aliens or something. I don't know. Demons? Demons, they? aliens. I don't remember what they were because, again, I don't acknowledge season two. <laughs> but yeah, she was really creepy because she kept this facade going and was very determined to perform well in her job, not only because there was a bomb strapped to her heart, right? Like, I get the motivation there, but because she wanted to excel in her job and uh, her job just happened to be really fucked up. And she was part of a cycle that either forced her to, they forced her into the choice of either becoming food or becoming a mother and continuing the cycle. So it's it's difficult that she's in that position, but also she is absolutely psychotic. Yeah, her, her story is compelling because we also see that like she also grew up as one of these kids who were, raised on the the farm system and like pretty much led like lambs to the slaughter but she was chosen to um become like a future facilitator or mom or whatever the role was um and i think we saw an instance of her trying to to escape and and try to uh, take down the system but she was never able to cross that line and so it's kind of the thing of like her serving as the lesser of two evils, right? Uh, sort of like Bondrude or Bondrude in a way, mm-hmm. where she could be part of the system and lead these kids to a terrible fate, but it's better than these kids having to take the risk to find out what is beyond the what lies beyond the farm. Uh, but I think it's ultimately the the fact that um, Emma, Ray, and Norman took that risk, like knowing the dangers that would lie ahead on their journey that made mama what was her name isabella yeah become a more sympathetic character for us uh because she kind of serves as the oh going now i'm gonna quote star wars is like she is kind of what 
Emma, Ray, and Norman grow beyond because they were the ones to take that step, understanding the risk of escaping the farm. And she ultimately roots for them, right? But like again, we don't acknowledge season two. So at the end of season one, she's kind of rooting for them. She's like, well, you got away. So good luck to you. Like do what I was never able to do. Um, but yeah, I think that she was just genuinely eerie and actually kind of got like left me on the edge of my seat whenever she was lurking around the house. Oh yeah, there about was like, to like yeah. kidnap somebody or break some bones or something. Like she had really sinister stares in season one that like sent chills down my spine. But yeah, her her kind of change of pace in season two, like fuck that. Like, I get it. Fuck season two. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So then I have Inuyasha, Naraku, and Sashomaru because Naraku is the villain of the story, but Sashomaru is definitely the antagonist of the story because he is Inuyasha's uh, very coup de older brother <laughs> i mean it's fucking sashomaru like if you watch the show you just understand like i don't need to say more than that it is sashomaru right like he is who he is how do you not love him um but naraku i think is a really interesting villain because he's just full of he's just like jaded and he's full of hate because the person he loved rejected him and he couldn't handle that shit and just absorbed all the demons and all of the evil to eventually become this big pain in the ass for Inuyasha and the gang. But I think he's just this really like eerie, um, very like like looming villainous figure throughout the show that I I think caused enough of an uh, place enough of a barrier out there for Inuyasha and the gang where he was pretty formidable. Him and his team were pretty formidable. Um, but at the end of the day, he was just really salty about being friend zone. <laughs> um, yeah, Sashomaru. I mean, it's it's Sashomaru. He's got one of the best villain or antagonist theme songs. Like you described it. It's wow, like the wow, gates of hell are wow, opening up. <laughs> or entering through the gates of hell. How did you describe it? I think it was like, are we entering the gates of hell? As <laughs> yeah. I was listening to this song. I was like, you got to listen to this theme song. It's so good. And then you looked at me you're like, what the fuck? Blam, blam, blam. <laughs> it's a good one. And the last one on my list is Yu-Gi-Oh's Seto Kaiba. Because who oh, doesn't fucking man. love Seto Kaiba? <laughs> Similar to Sashomaru, like I don't have to say much about Kaiba. You know if you've seen Yu-Gi-Oh. That reminds me, uh, there was a video recently that one of our friends shared of uh, this Seto Kaiba cosplayer that was playing in a a, a, a live uh, Yu-Gi-Oh duel at a convention, and I think he he nails down the mannerisms and the voice of Seto Kaiba so well. It was so good. Like I would never usually attend a Yu-Gi-Oh tournament, but I would go to a Yu-Gi-Oh tournament just to watch this dude perform essentially as kaiba it was mm-hmm. phenomenal we'll share a link as well in the discord so that anyone can see it if you're curious i'll be honest i i didn't watch you go but i, I know i know Seto you gotta kaiba. watch it did you get sent to the shadow realm uh i just watched the show <laughs> <laughs> just watch Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> it's, no, it's cheesy in a great way i'm You'll sure love it. our members of our discord are gonna roast me for not watching Yu-Gi-Oh. but <laughs> you know And there you have it. These are some of our, or most of our, maybe all of our favorite villains in anime. I'm sure this list will continue to grow as we're introduced to new villains in new shows. But um, yeah, if, if you guys have any 
villains that you really love, whether or not they were on our list, please tell us. Reach out to us. We always love when you guys share your thoughts. You can email us. You can send us a message on Instagram or Twitter, or you can join our Discord and chat with everybody about your favorite villains. The link is in the description. Good old villains. You love to hate them, but you hate to love them. Uh, <laughs> Wait, I'm like the lady with the math equation swirling around her head. I'm Essentially... Like, <laughs> Without them, they wouldn't make our protagonist lives a living hell and therefore wouldn't make uh, uh, the stories more compelling. They are critical to a lot of the anime that we love. But thank you, everyone, for listening. We appreciate you guys. We love you guys. Um, we, I guess, as of this recording, we're about to head to Crunchyroll Expo. So again, if you're interested in seeing any updates, we'll share those on social media and on our Discord but yeah, we, we hope you enjoyed another favorites list episode. Subscribe to Strictly Anime on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to tell us all about your favorite villains. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash thestrictlyseries and tune into Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe. Stay healthy, stay weeb.